0: Good morning. Good to be with you. We're going to be sharing from God's Word this morning. I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be looking at foundation for marriage. I thought we might begin this morning as we talk about family to define family. You know, our culture is defining it for us. It's redefining family. You realize our culture is redefining what marriage is. And so this morning I'm actually going to begin a series on marriage Uh, And family, and we're going to focus mainly on the the topic of marriage this week and next week, and then we'll talk about kids. and I just want to issue a couple disclaimers as I begin this. All right, I do not have a perfect family, and I'm still in process. So, uh, are any of y'all still? Have have any of y'all? It's kind of like sanctification. Anybody here uh, become perfect? Have you become totally holy like God? Yeah, that's after we die, right? We, we're glorified. We're all in process. So in this topic of marriage and parenting, we need to extend a lot of grace to each other. And if I hit something that strikes home, uh, no, no elbowing here. I've seen people just go flying across the aisle sometimes when we get into this topic here. So no elbowing. Uh, let's uh, ask God to speak to us and no, uh, I told you so as, I, as we drive away today, so let's uh, ask God to minister us, to speak to us, and uh, we'll have fun going through this topic together. But I thought we'd begin by defining what is family, and there's a lot of places we can look for a definition. I've, uh, this is Holman's, it's a Bible dictionary, the basic household unit which provides a person's central relationships, nurture, and support. There's a lot packed in that definition, but in that we see that family is very, very important to God. And we see that family from the beginning of Genesis through Revelation, is that there's, a, there's a thread where, where family is incredibly significant to God the Father. And by the way, God is relational. We have God the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit And we see that we created us in His image. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And He created us to need each other. But where many things happen... You know, as a church, we talk about raising up the next generation of leaders. That's true in the walls of this church. But where does it happen most importantly? Do you think it's most significant that our kids get equipped in Sunday school and Awana? That's important. We want them to, to. We want to have the best children's ministry possible. But it's the family where life transformation really happens, and so the family is incredibly significant, incredibly important. It provides a person's central relationships, nurture, and support. As I mentioned in my prayer in the New Testament, we see that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. A lot of things happen. We're justified. We're declared righteous. We're redeemed. We're set free from sin. But One of my favorites is that we're adopted into God's what? Family. The church. The household of God, as Paul calls it. And so we as the church in the New Testament, we're, we're a family and we need each other and we relate to each other according to that. No one has all the gifts. Each of us has gaps. We need each other, but we're part of the family of God. And so family is incredibly significant to God. It's, it's very important to our children. It's very important to a husband. It's very important to a wife. It's very important as a single person. And again, if you grew up in a home where uh, maybe your parents divorced, and as we talk about family, that's, that's a raw topic to you, then there's good news. There's hope. There's healing that can come through Jesus Christ and through his spirit moving, not only in your life, but through other people in the body of Christ. There's hope. Let me shift gears a little bit and let me talk about small groups. We have small groups at Grace Bible Church. Are small groups important? What do you think? Is it important to be connected, to be a part of a small group? Can we agree on that? We put a lot of emphasis here at Grace Bible Church, and we have adult Bible fellowships and men's groups and women's groups, and we got all kinds of groups because we know that that's a very important component to your spiritual growth, is that you're not just off isolated as a believer, but that you're vitally connected, and people know you, and you're held accountable, and you're encouraged, and all these one another's can be lived out as a result of that. Let me ask you this. What are some of the dynamics that small groups should include? If you're in a small group, what should happen in that small group? If you're in a Bible study or a home church, what are some of the things that you want to see happening in that group? That's not rhetorical. Give me some feedback here. What what should be happening in a small group? Prayer. Excellent. We should be praying for each other. What else? Spiritual growth, so that we're maturing. How do, how do we grow spiritually? How do we grow? Study the Word, Study the word of God. Okay, excellent. Communication. Communication in the group. We talk to each other, and we're going to talk about that a little bit in marriage. That's a good thing. What else should happen in a small group? Accountability. Excellent. We're accountable to each other. Confession of sin, you know, speaking the truth to lo- uh, in love to one another. Sometimes we need to reprove a brother. Um, James 5 talks about how important it is that we confess our sins one to another that we may be healed. There's something about our sin coming to light. And a brother or sister or, son, or you know, a group that, that they know about an issue we're struggling with brings amazing healing and accountability. What else should happen in a small group? Encouragement. Encouragement. That we encourage each other. Anything else? All of the one another's in the New Testament, right? Love one another. Pray for one another. Bear one another's burdens. We get under the rock with each other. Somebody that's struggling. they don't No, no lone rangers. We don't want, want you out there struggling by yourself. We want others to get under that rock with you and help you when you're struggling. To exhort one another. To love one another. All these things should happen in a small group as we're intentionally pursuing Christ-likeness and we're intentionally pursuing maturity. Let me ask you another question. Do these principles apply to families? We're talking about things that we want to see happening in an adult Bible fellowship or a men's group or a women's group or a home church. Should these basic principles be happening in the home? Absolutely. This is not just something relegated to in the walls of a church or when we go off and do the Jesus thing with a group of people. This is something that should be happening in everyday life, in real life, in the day-to-day activities of uh, going through life in our families. So now I come to my title. Here's my title. And I wanted to prove that by kind of walking you through that process. I believe that the family is God's original small group. I believe that the family unit is the original small group. And as we go into the New Testament and we see all these one another's and we see the things that we should be emphasized as we are in community with the one another, these things should also be taking place in the home. And we need to be intentional. Because I'll tell you what, life gets busy, doesn't it? Are any of you here busy? Okay, If you didn't raise your hand, we need to talk about lying. We're busy, aren't we? Most of us are just running from one thing to the next. And if we're not careful, we get to thinking that success in as a dad or a mom or success in our home is, you know, just getting to church and having the kids clothed. And and we're here, you know, we feel that way sometimes, too. Or success is, you know, just getting the the bills paid or at least most of them and and. Uh, trying to get six or seven hours of sleep at night and get up the same, tomorrow and go through the same thing and putting beans on the table and that's success. Well, let's take a step back and let's look at God's design for the family. And let's look at some of these principles that we tend to think of that are important for small groups and let's see if we can apply them to the home. And I want to begin with a, a presupposition. And we're going to be talking more about this in a couple weeks, in the weeks to come, when I say weeks to come, that kind of depends on uh, uh, Luke and Gracie, okay, and how, how things are going. So, uh, but you're stuck with me for at least a couple of weeks. So we're, my premise is the family is God's original small group. My big idea this morning is that the most important relationship in the family is the one between the husband and the wife. Relationships are essential with our children. And if we're not careful, though, we get in a child-focused society that everything goes into them and mom and dad suffer. The best way you can love your kids as a husband and wife is to what? Is to love each other and to give yourself to each other and to make that relationship so incredibly strong and yielded to the lordship of Christ and that Christ is the head of your home. Marriage It's incredibly important to God. And it's incredibly important to the church and to this group here this morning. Marriage, the most important relationship. December 12th, 1987, a couple entered into the covenant of marriage. And immediately after this couple, yeah, that's me, this is Brad and Susan. This December will be 22 years ago. We stepped out of Cook Baptist Church in Ruston, Louisiana, and the photographer asked us to turn around, and we kind of turned around, and he snapped this photograph. And yeah, I know my hair is dark, and I know Susan has big hair, uh, but this was this was the as she tells me this was the '80s, okay? This was the '80s, and uh, but here we are. What do we know about marriage? We've been married. They declared us husband and wife maybe a minute ago. What do we know about marriage? We've been through premarital counseling, which we highly recommend. We won't marry you at Grace unless you've been through premarital counseling. It's excellent in laying a foundation for marriage and giving you a toolbox that you can draw from. But practically, my point is right here. I'll just speak for myself. Susan, maybe she was the expert, but I knew very little. I knew squat about the day-to-day, and I can have all kinds of theory in my mind, but I had a lot to learn as a young married man, and I made a lot of mistakes, and uh, we've, made, we've been through a lot of struggles, and we had no idea some of the things that were going to co- be coming our way at that point. You know what I'm talking about? The day you get married, you go, ooh, yeah, honeymoon, here we go, this is great, and all the men are smiling. and uh, But we're, go- we're heading off to the honeymoon. And everything's going to be great. But we're not really clued in that there's going to be some valleys to come too. At this point, we, we didn't know we were going to lose a child. Our first child lives less than six months. We, we didn't know that. We didn't know that 80% of couples that have uh, uh, the death of a child because of uh, genetic problems, divorce. And... Uh, at that time, that was rough. It was real rough. We wondered if we were going to make it. We got counseling. I went through depression. We, we, didn't, we didn't know that at this time. Uh, we didn't know some of the other struggles we were going to go through. But, thank the Lord, here we are. <laughs> this is a family camp, Horn Creek, this last summer. If you ever get a chance to go to family camp, do it. It's a blast. Western night. Here we are, 22 years later. Our little girl Elizabeth's not there. She's in heaven. We'll get to see her someday. But God's allowed us to adopt two precious children. Rachel is almost 15. Andrew just turned 9 this last week. He's our little tornado. And uh, God has so blessed us. I'm so thankful. Um, I can't imagine. Uh, Thank you for providing a helpmate like Susan that stuck with me through these years. But that's what it's all about. And how do, how do we get from point A to point B? And we still got a lot farther to go. Some of you have a little more gray hair than me, and uh, you've made it a lot farther. And how do, we, how do we not just stay together, but how do we really honor God with our marriages? How do we, you know, you know what the image is, My relationship to Susan is to be a picture of Christ's love relationship with His bride, the church. And I'm to love her unconditionally as Christ loves the church. And she's to follow me and respect me and honor me as the church does to Christ. So that we will present to the world a dying world that needs Christ. We will present a model for them to see. Does that put you on your knees? Does that humble you just a little bit? And if you're single here today, this is something for you to pray for. This is something for you to understand and realize. So file this away. I know we are a college church, university church, and a lot of singles here. But I haven't met too many singles with the gift of celibacy. Uh, Maybe maybe, uh, a few. And so most of you are going to be married someday. So file some of these things away. So here we are. Thank the Lord almost 22 years later with our family. I want to read to you a couple of articles uh, until divorce do us part. This was in The Eagle last weekend. The institution of marriage in the United States has steadily declined in strength over the past four decades, according to a report released last month by a panel of scholars and advocates, the U.S. Marriage Index. Now, let me tell you what that is. The U.S. Marriage Index is a combination of five statistics. And it's the percentage of adults between the ages of 20 and 54 who are married, the percentage of adults who reported being, quote, very happy, end quote, with their marriages, the percentage of first marriage marriages intact, the percentages of births to married parents, and the percentage of children living with their own married parents to reach a composite score illustrating the state of America's neptual unions. In 1970, that score totaled 76.2. By 2008, it had dropped to 60.3. So some of the results of this finding, and again, this is a composite index. The U.S. Marriage Index seeks to quantify marriage in the United States in the same way economists use leading indicators to parse the state of the country's economy. So what do we see with the state of marriage, the state of families in the United States? Here's some stats. In 1970, 90% of children were born to married parents. Last year, that figure had dropped to 60%. So in 38 years, we've gone from 90% to 60% of children born to married parents. 1970, 79% of adults between 20 and 54 were married. In 2008, that figure had dropped to 57%. Now there's a number of reasons for this. Some of the one of the reasons is we're seeing more and more couples get divorced. But we're also noticing an amazing societal trend. I'm going to talk about more of this next week, is that the adolescence is coming earlier and earlier with children. Their youth, their their, their innocence is being stolen away. Adolescence is becoming earlier, coming earlier and earlier, but adulthood is coming later and later. Adulthood being defined by independence from your parents, marriage, family, children, jobs, things like that. More and more of the younger generation is putting off owning responsibility and entering into adulthood until later and later in life. It's a a trend that's happening in our culture. Another statistic, in 1970, 77% of first marriages remained intact. In 2008, that figure has dropped to 61%. And on average, again, the the divorce rate is about 50%, but realize that's also factoring in second and third marriages. So why is the marriage index declining in strength? They summarize the article with two points that make sense. The first is an increase in divorce. Second an increase in out-of-wedlock children that perpetuates the cycle. Marriages are at risk uh, in our country today. Snowball effect, every single pathology or problem or difficulty a child can experience. Growing up outside of a married couple home elevates the risk. Again, I'm not here to hammer on single parents. And if you're a single mom or dad, we want to be here for you as a church. We want to help you. We also want to recognize that as a church, we have a responsibility to teach and equip singles to have strong marriages as well as those who are married to have strong marriages. And we don't want to back away from that. And that is where this series hopefully is is really taking us. To equip us to have strong marriages and to realize that God does hate divorce and there's reasons behind that. And if you're here this morning and your marriage is struggling, my hope and prayer is that you will talk to somebody. The thing that's really hard for me as a pastor, and I was talking with Brian about this yesterday, and other pastors see this too, is that oftentimes we'll have a couple come to us and sit on our couch after they've already called the lawyer and they're, we're their last ditch, you know, fix it. You know, you're, we're, okay, I said we'd go talk to the pastor. It's too late then. You realize how hard it is to turn that big ship ocean liner around at that point. If you're struggling in your marriage, get help. Get help. I'm going to talk about some resources here this morning. Don't be prideful. Tell somebody. Tell your small group leader. Tell me. Tell someone. Another one. This is from Time Magazine this July. And in Time Magazine, they did a, a feature story on Why Marriage Matters. It was the cover of Time magazine. There is no other single force causing as much measurable hardship in this country as the collapse of marriage. This is Time magazine. It hurts children, it reduces mother's financial security, and it has landed with particular devastation on those who can bear at least the nation's underclass. Again, back to our big idea, the family is God's original small group. The most important relationship in the family is the one between the husband and wife, the marriage. Bottom line, in our country today and in our churches today, marriages are at risk. Would you walk out on that rock? Would you go out there? No. (laughs) No. Was that you, Andrew? It wasn't Andrew. That's usually my son that does that. (laughs) Marriages are at risk. And Satan has a bullseye on your marriage. Do you realize that? We're going to be looking next week at Ephesians chapter 5 on the roles of husbands and wife. What comes right after Ephesians chapter 5? You get in Ephesians chapter 6, which is about what? Spiritual warfare. And I don't believe that's any coincidence. Satan wants to take Our marriages down because he knows if he drives a wedge between mom and dad, he knows that all you all these statistics we looked at. He knows what's going to happen and he'll 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 tear down the fabric of the home and the church and and people and and the next generation through this. Marriages are at risk. Okay, let's look now at Genesis. uh, Actually, chapter one, we're going to end up in chapter two. Genesis chapter one. Let's look at the context of marriage. In chapter 1, verse 1, we read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is our creator God. He set this world in motion and he has his loving and guiding hand on us and on this world throughout the process. After creation, you notice uh, he would always say it is good. Uh, it, is, it, it is good. And uh, we, we see the creation count. We also read in verse Twenty six. Actually, let me start in verse 24. Then God said, this is Genesis 1, 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their own kind, cattle, creeping things, beasts of the field after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us... God's a relational God. We have the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, a relational being, a relational creature, so that we can have a relationship with man, God said, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and on and on. In verse 27, and God created man in his own image. We are image bearers of Almighty God, the God of creation, the holy God of the universe. We are image bearers of His. He created Him male, and He created female, and He he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And your pastoral staff is taking that to heart. Uh, (laughs) Trey and Marcy and Blake and Julie, they're taking this to heart. Many of you are taking this to heart. One way you grow a church is uh, babies. And so be fruitful and multiply. But we see in verse 31, And God saw that He had uh, made everything He had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. Now flip the page over on chapter... Or you may not need to flip your page, but to the next chapter. And let's look at chapter 2, verse 18. Up until this point, everything was good. Chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. First time it wasn't good. Up until this time everything's good. Why? Because he created Adam, man, with some gaps, there were some needs in his life that Adam could find nowhere else in creation. He looks for it. In verse 19, out of the ground, God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky. He brought them to, to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, he's looking, he's looking for, for something to fill his gaps. You know, he's Walking through all the animal kingdom, and it's, it's not the horse, it's not the hippo, it's not the you know whatever else. That's, that's not going to meet my greatest needs. A horse, that, that's, they're great creatures, but they're not going to fill the gaps that I, God's created for me here. At, for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So Adam's still looking. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. So the problem here, it's not good for man to be alone. The solution, I will make him a helper that is suitable for him, that's a complement to him, and that's what God has done when He made Eve for Adam, and that's what He has done for us when He brings a spouse to us. There, as being single, we can. Uh, there's needs that can be met through uh, friendships, through roommates, but there's a special need that only a spouse can fill because God has created us that way. And again, some maybe uh, have the gift of of celibacy, and in your Um, gaps are not in this way and that's, that's okay. Um, But for Adam, he needed a helper. I needed a helper. And whenever I do a wedding, I've done three this fall. Uh, I bring this out that, you know, the, the, the groom here who's standing here in a puddle because he's just looked down and saw the most beautiful thing on the planet walking down the aisle. And I talk about how he's realized it's not good to be alone. I want a relationship with this person. I want to forever, Commit my life to her. And so for, that's the solution for Adam. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And here we see in the, uh, uh, verse 23, the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And literally in the Hebrew, our English doesn't do it justice, but literally in the Hebrew, when Adam saw Eve, he said, this one. He went, wow, this one, this is the one. Okay, I've been looking through all the animal kingdom. Here she is, this one. She's the one that fits uh, the needs that I have. In the Hebrew, it's beautiful, it's poetic. Ish and Isha. Ish coming together with Isha. A lock and a key, a cuff and a link, a perfect fit. Two becoming one, as we're going to talk about here in just a minute. So God made Eve for Adam. Last night, my wife and I were talking about this, and she, uh, has Jan Karen ever been read from the pulpit in here? Um, well, she's about to be. Uh, my wife, I haven't read this, uh, it's a Christian, she's a Christian author, but um, in this book called A Common Life, there's apparently a character named Uncle Billy, and he's always looking for a joke. Uncle Billy's always looking for some humor. And uh, Father Tim is an episcopal priest, and he's about to get married, so he's looking, and here's what he tells at uh, um, Uncle, uh, Father Tim's uh, wedding reception. And you've got to realize, Uncle Billy, he's, he's country, he's a good old boy, uh, very likable character. And uh, so it's Billy's turn. Well, sir, old Adam, he was uh, moping around the Garden of Eden feeling lonesome, don't you know? So the Lord asked him, said, Adam, what's ailing you? Adam said he didn't have nobody to talk to. Well, sir, the Lord told him he'd make somebody to keep him company, said it'd be a woman, said this woman will rustle up your grub and cook up for you. When you go to wearing clothes, she'll wash them for you, and when she make a decision on something... Or when you make a decision on something, she'll agree to it. Said she'll not nag nor torment you a single time. And when you have a fuss, she'll give you a big hug and say you was right all along. <laughs> Old Adam, he was just a marveling at this. The Lord went on and said, she'll never complain of a headache. And, and she'll love and give you passion when you call for it. And when you have youngins, she'll not ask you to get up in the middle of the night. Adam's eyes got real big, don't you know? And he said, what will a woman like that cost a feller? The Lord said, an arm and a leg. Adam pondered a good bit and said, what do you reckon I could get for a rib? (laughs) That was the last thing on my mind before I fell asleep last night, so... (laughs) So God provided, provides woman for man. He provides uh, Eve. Eve, woman, helper, helpmate, term of honor. This, this word has some baggage. I'm, I'll tell you what, we're, we're going a little... I'm going to talk more about this next week, but trust me, it's a term of honor. It's a term of respect. She was created as a helper, suitable, corresponding to the perfect complement for Adam. It says here that married couples are happier. Right. There's a couple in bed right before they go to sleep. I'm just telling you what it says. He's reading the paper. Old Elmer or whatever his name here is reading the paper. She says, You're always just telling me something. What's that supposed to mean? You tell me, Mr. Know It All. If I know it at all, why'd I marry you? Slam! Out she goes in the door. And isn't it easy to get like this? We get crossways. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves that God has given us the other person and that men and women are created by design differently. Have you come to that conclusion? (laughs) Have you realized, men, that women are different from you? And women, have you realized that men... Are different from you? Now, Now that may sound real basic, but if you think about it, so many of our disagreements go back to that fundamental issue that we are different by design. Aren't you glad your spouse is different from you? I am so thankful that Susan fills in my gaps. And so often when we're in an argument or we're in a disagreement, I have to remind myself and we have to remind each other that we're on the same team. That the reason we're conflicting at this point, yes, we have the flesh and sin nature, but we're different. We need to celebrate our differences. Maybe, just maybe, in our differences and because we're having some disagreements, God's at work and Martin Luther said that marriage was the single best institution to bring about sanctification in the life of a believer. Haven't you found that to be true? And God shapes us and sharpens us through our differences. And sometimes, Susan and I, we get upset over the silliest things. And, and by the way, yes, we do. Pastors sometimes fight with their wives. We, we do disagree. Okay, we all do. That's normal. I mean, here's somebody that says we never fight and, and they're, they're just sweeping it under the rug. It's normal to disagree. It's normal to conflict because we're different and we're growing in maturity and we're growing in process. But we need to learn how to biblically resolve our conflicts. We'll talk about more about that next week. Here's a example of a, a lady that's uh, needing a dryer, And, you know, um, sometimes we feel this way, don't we? Uh, When uh, he's handing her something else besides the hairdryer. You'd never do that, I know. And uh, I I tell you what, Susan and I made a covenant when we got married. We said that we would never, ever bring up the word divorce. And we've kept that. And, and, and our disagreements, sometimes we have them. And when we disagree, we seek to biblically reconcile. And we want the kids to see us. Sometimes they see us differing. We also want them to see mommy and daddy reconciling and daddy asking forgiveness and Susan asking forgiveness to me and us hug. And we have family hugs where they come in. And my little eight, eight-year-old, he kind of burrows in like a mole, you know, right in there. And we get in close because we want them to see us resolving our issues. But, but we have them. That's... That's normal, and uh, oh, I know what I was going to say. Um, we made a covenant; we would never, ever use the word divorce in our marriage. And we, we've asked Susan this morning. I said, "Haven't we kept that?" And she said, "Yes, we've never said that word. That's not in our vocabulary because until death do us part." Now, we've we've talked about murder before, but no, <laughs> but we not divorce. Okay, four steps to marital oneness. God's plan for marriage is oneness. Realize Satan's deception is isolation. And Satan wants, maybe it's through busyness. Maybe it's through an unresolved conflict. Maybe it's through differing expectations. Maybe it's through your kids. But he wants to drive a wedge between you. You realize that. Again, he's got a bullseye on you. His deception is isolation and allow you... And isn't it sad when couples have been married... 30, 40, 50 or more years. And they're still married, but there's no intimacy. There's no oneness. There's no closeness. That's not the way God designed it to be. He designed oneness, a one flesh union. Well, I'm going to look at four steps to marital oneness. And we see this in verse 24. For this cause or for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one one flesh. First is independence from parents. Leave in the Hebrew, it means at least 500 miles away from your parents. (laughs) No, leave means to abandon, to leave behind, to complete separation of all former ties, to form a new relationship. And you've heard this before, before you can cleave, you've got to what? Leave. And we really do. you got to snip those apron strings. we got to cut those umbilical ties or whatever you want to term it. Um, you know, one of the greatest things that we try to do in premarital counseling is help a young couple realize that you're forming a brand new family unit. And, you know, to the parents of the bride, they're going, oh, yeah, we're getting a son into our family And the parents of the groom, they're thinking, and we're getting a new daughter into our family. And that sounds so sweet. And that's, but the reality is, and I I tell them that in premarital counseling no, parents of the bride, you're losing a daughter. Parents of the groom, you're losing a son. Now, that doesn't mean you still can't communicate, you still can't talk, and you still can't, you should still honor our parents and be together. But parents, we've got to let our kids. Form a new family unit of their own. And one of the major causes of divorce in those first few years are meddling parents. K- kids have to be able to leave their parents. For us, our kids, it's going to be in their 30s. Um, but uh, no, they have to be able to leave um, before they can cleave, before they form a brand new relationship. Second is commitment, first is independence from parents. Second is commitment to each other. And this is where we get the word cleave. We're to leave and we're to cleave. This means to cling to. This is a very significant word. To be united to, to keep close to. In the Old Testament, it was used figuratively as, as of an expression of loyalty, of And affection in a close physical proximity. Other usages in the Old Testament are skin cleaving to bone, of a hand cleaving to sword, of scales cleaving to fish. And this is talking about a husband and wife coming together and and leaving their parents and cleaving together in a very, very close, intimate relationship. Third is intimacy. Intimacy. We're to leave, we're to cleave, and they shall become one flesh. What do we mean by that? One flesh means complete unity. It's complete identification in community of interests and pursuits. Two have become one. When I do a wedding, and a lot of times couples will see kind of my rough draft of what I'm going to do, and they don't like me to talk about this, but... Sometimes when I do a wedding, I'll talk about, you thought you're coming to a wedding, but you've really come to a funeral. Because today, you're seeing a young man die to his singleness. And you're seeing a young woman die to her singleness. And now, it's no longer about my money, my time, my stuff. Now it's us. It's we. It's our Two have become one, and every decision that's made from this point on will be made together. And every penny that's spent will be made with a decision together. Two have become one, one flesh union. That's God's design. One man plus one woman equals the marriage union. Our culture's getting, this looks like a simple equation. But this is getting a lot of backlash in our culture today. I'll talk more about that next week. One man, one woman entering into a lifelong covenant of marriage. That's what God has designed. That's the blueprint. We need to go back to the maker. That's what He has designed for us. One flesh, there's a progression. It starts, I believe, with the spiritual foundation. As we look to Jesus Christ, you've seen that triangle where there's the husband, the wife... Christ or God's up here. The closer we get to God, the closer we get to each other. Laying a foundation on our individual relationships with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of our home. Second, there's an emotional connection. Men, can you say that with me? Emotions. Okay, emotions. Our wives want to know things we're feeling. Those are hard words for us to get out. They want to connect. With us on an emotional level. And that's very significant in the one flesh union. Third is communicational. I think I made that word up. I asked my wife this morning, Is that a word? She said no. Uh, communicational. In just that, in the one flesh union, that we are communicating, and husbands, that means listening not just talking it's listening it's it's communication going full circle there's a spiritual dimension there's an emotional dimension and then there's communication taking place in multiple levels and yes there's the physical one flesh does include sexual relationships and in the covenant of marriage god says it's good he wrote a whole book of the bible called song of solomon that describes the intimacy a husband and wife can and should be enjoying. Um, Ed Wheat wrote a book called Intended for Pleasure. It should not just be to bear children. It's to be a pleasurable, mutual exchange in the context of marriage. And in this context, God said, it is good, it is wonderful. And we're to experience that only in the covenant of marriage. And we're to wait until we get married, to experience that. Husbands and wives, this is from John Piper in Desiring God. Husbands and wives, recognize that you have become one flesh. If you live for your private pleasure at the expense of your spouse, you are living against yourself and destroying your joy. You can go try to do your own thing in marriage, but it's going to burn you. okay, And your wife, but you will suffer the most. If you live for your private pleasure at the expense of your spouse, you are living against yourself and destroying your joy. But if you devote yourself with all your heart to the holy joy of your spouse, you will also be living for your joy and making a marriage after the image of Christ and his church. Next week we're going to talk about the roles in servant leadership for the man and, and, and the responding, uh, response of the wife and how God has designed this to fit together. But when we do this and we give ourselves to the marital union, this one flesh union, God blesses that. And, and it can be a blast. And yeah, it has its challenges. And yeah, it has its ups and downs. But it also sustains us through those valleys where we feel like quitting. And sometimes we feel that way. Sometimes we feel like bailing. Don't do it. Stick with it. For the sake of your kids, for the sake of your own marital enjoyment and joy. You know, I tell couples that are thinking about a divorce, you know what the problem is? You can do that. And there's, you know, go off and try to find someone else. The problem is you take you with you, you take your baggage and your issues with you. Stick with it. Stay together. God's design is for lifelong union of marriage. Also, transparency. Verse 26. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You know, we get a group of men together and we do Bible memory and for some reason men always remember this this verse, you know, so Bubba's remember this verse. It's their favorite verse, you know, naked and unashamed. You know, but in this, it's not just talking about the physical Side of things. It's talking about honesty and, and the real transparency and vulnerability that we're to have in, in marriage. Four steps to marital oneness. Independence from parents, commitment to each other, lifelong covenant, intimacy, and transparency. In closing, what value do you place on your marriage or your future marriage? Is it important to you? What value do you place on your marriage. Second question, how does your daily life reflect these values? How does what I do day in, day out reflect my love for my bride, Susan? Think about that. Think about that this week. A couple of um, resources. These are going to be on the website here uh, uh, by tomorrow, I think. So, If you don't get these down, they're okay. That's okay. Family Life has excellent resources for marriage and family and parenting and even struggling issues. Go to the website, it's familylife.com. Susan and I have been to multiple weekend to remembers and they are awesome. I looked on the website. The next one coming up, if you're looking for a weekend to remember, it's a marriage conference to go away to. San Antonio has one November 13th to 20th. You can sign up on their website. I tell you what, if you want to go to one of these and you can't afford it, you talk to me. I'll, I'll make sure that you can go to one of these. They are, they are life-changing. Family Life Conference. How many of you all have been to one of these? Yeah. Would you go back? Would you recommend them? Absolutely. Second, Focus on the Family. Focusonthefamily.com. There's a great resource for you there. All kinds of resources. You want to know should your kids watch a certain movie or not? They got plugged in online. Focus on the Family is a great resource. Another one is Christian counseling. If your marriage is struggling, I want to encourage you to do something about it. Have the courage to make a phone call. Email me. There's my email right there. Call, call me. or You can email me. You can be even anonymous, and we'll point you in the right direction. We have some really good Christian counselors in this community. Or if you want to talk and meet with a pastor and pray with a pastor, do it this week. If your marriage is struggling, do it this week. Okay? Fourth, join a small group. Get plugged in. Get accountability. Get some encouragement. All these one and others that we're talking about should happen in the family, but also get in a small group. Life applications, real life applications, basic ones. Date. Men, take the lead. Ask your spouse out on a date this week. Do you remember how to do that? You work at one point or you wouldn't be married, okay? If you've forgotten, We'll have a little session up here on... Say, honey, can we go out on Friday night? We'd like to spend some time with you Friday night. You know, you know, Ask your wife out on a date. Go on a date with your... We should continue dating our spouse. And I know it's tough with kids and I know all that, but you can work that out. Go on a date with your... These are some basic things. Continue to spend time. Go on a date with your spouse. Prayer. Prayer in your home. You know, I've learned that for a lot of men... This is hard to do. And women too. If you've never prayed out loud, this kind of freaks some people out. If you've never prayed out loud, your assignment this week is to get your family and hold hands. Maybe it's around on the dinner table, but you just bow and you pray silently for 60 seconds. Just, just hold hands and pray as a family together. Okay? Go on a date, prayer, act of kindness. Okay, this is pretty basic. One act of kindness. Pick up the lettuce on the way home. Some, one act of kindness. Okay? Now, more advanced. That was basic. More advanced. Read your Bible. Find a time to read your Bible. Start through reading Proverbs. Start through reading John. Uh, I'll tell you what, next week I'll suggest some family devotionals you can use. Open up the Bible and read it. Together. Uh, service. Find a service project. Go do something. Go do a HELPS project together as a family. That will really pull you together and you'll serve the body of Christ and you'll grow. Here we were this summer. We try to have special times together and um, we got a chance to go on a cruise this summer. Our marriages are visible demonstration of Christ's love relationship with His bride, the church. And I'm going to uh, come back to this next week. But in Revelation, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this time we can have together. God, thank you for designing marriage. Thank you, Father, for uh, my bride, Susan. And the, the years we, you have blessed us with, uh, help me, Father, to love her and, uh, she, as she needs to be loved. And, and as you've uh, created us, and um, I pray for her in this regard, she will respond to my love in ways that I need. And I pray for all the, the couples here, Lord, that we'll grow in our realizing that we all are still in pro- process, but we will be intentional and that we will take the lead as, as husbands to uh, ask our wives out on a date, uh, to pray together, to, to do these things together um, in our homes. And again, Lord, for those who are here this morning, maybe they came from a divorced home or, or maybe they've been through divorce or some pain or abuse, Lord, I just ask that Your Holy Spirit would, would bring healing and would bring hope and would bring encouragement and that they would... Seek you out, but also seek others out in the body of Christ, the family of God. And maybe they've had some struggles in their own family. Maybe their father wasn't perfect, but now we have a perfect father. And we can come to you, and we thank you for that. And we have others in the body of Christ who can help us along the way. One struggler helping another one. We love you, Lord. We thank you for family. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks.